This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello and welcome to Business Beyond Bazaar, a podcast that will take you off the beaten path, introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. Remember when you were a little kid and as a gag it might have been fun to play dead? Whether you were playing cops and robbers or just pranking your parents, you thought this was a hoot. It's a phase of life that, as children, you quickly grow out of. But what if you didn't? What if, as an adult, you had an outlet in life, like, say, TikTok, and you could creatively play dead as much as you'd like? Well, that's what Josh Nally, who is better known as Living Dead Josh, does. So, why did Josh become... Living Dead Josh? It came out of boredom, just uh, trying to figure out something to do on my, my free time and trying to, you know, chase that 15 minutes of fame that everybody chases. Josh has played Possum on TikTok over 300 times and counting. So what and where was the first attempt at fame? And have they gotten more elaborate by the time he got to say... 300 the first one was me in a creek with my dogs like me just propping my phone up against a rock and me laying there and trying to hold my breath the 300 one you know i've started uh using uh, a little bit more equipment sometimes i bring my friends in to help me i don't know if it you'd say more elaborate more cognizance of where i'm laying and uh the background speaking of friends and also family What did they think of his faux death fascination? The support has been amazing for my friends and family. They they love it. They didn't really know when I first started. It wasn't until like the first one that went viral, which was Thanksgiving last year, that they knew about it. And then even then, I didn't really tell them. It was their kids that was telling them that it was going viral. But the support has been overwhelming. A lot of them have helped me out on videos or, uh, you know, we joke about it when we get together, too. While Josh did allude to the fact that fun and fame were motivated factors in starting this, he was still quite surprised when he started going viral. It was a bit of disbelief. I think it in the first day, that first one that went viral, I think it did a million views. So there's a lot of, you know, a little bit of disbelief there and uh, some elation. Like I said, I didn't really tell anybody because it was uh, one of those things that I was just keeping to myself at the time. But yeah, it is a real elation that people were connecting with it. Well, you said it started out of boredom, but beyond that fact, what made you decide that playing dead was the way to put boredom aside? Well, I figured it was probably the easiest way I could get onto a movie or TV show without actually having to do much work, or at least I thought at the time. It's been a lot of work. I didn't see anybody else doing it on TikTok. I figured it was a niche that I could fill. Josh has dozens of different poses for his videos. Lying on his side, lying on his back, some with his eyes closed, some with his eyes open. That latter scenario must be tough to do without blinking. That's not very hard. I'm pretty good at winning a staring contest, so that part's easy. It's the holding the breath that gets a little bit difficult sometimes or uh, laying in uncomfortable spots where, like, rocks are jabbing you in your side that gets hard. And Josh is a robust-sized man who's trying not to move any body parts while trying not to breathe. Has he mastered the proper technique? 
I'd like to think so. I mean, uh, early on, I, I've gone back and looked at earlier TikToks and I've seen my, I've caught myself breathing, but the later ones, I think they're a lot better where you don't see any movement. In the myriad of TikToks that he's done, what's the easiest to play dead in? And what's the hardest? The easiest one to play dead in probably was I played dead in a hotel bed. So that was fairly easy. That or I played dead in a bathtub with a shower curtain in front of me and only my arm hanging out. So I could actually breathe in that one. So most difficult one, I was chained up by my wrist at one point. I was suspended by my wrist for a few minutes while I was recording. That one was kind of difficult and painful. Also, I've seen others where you have your dogs walking around you. Do they understand what you're doing isn't real? And if they lick you, does it become a problem? No, I, I, I like them in there. They have ruined a couple takes before, um, but I like them in there because it adds a little bit of realness because with my little foxhound, she always has a sadder expression on her face, so I think it sells it well. Plus, uh, they're always around, so if I'm filming in my own yard, then they're going to be there, especially if I'm laying on the ground because they're like, oh, let's go uh, see what he's up to. Well, they always say in Hollywood, don't act with children or animals. Anyway, going viral on TikTok is a major accomplishment, but... Hitting the big time as someone pretending to be at room temperature is to be on a slab in an episode of CSI Vegas, the granddaddy of corpse cameos. How did he get the attention of the show? They reached out to me. They commented on one of my TikToks. I guess I kept on showing up on their For You page and they had commented on one of my TikToks. And then a couple of days later, they emailed me and asked me if I'd be interested in uh, playing a dead body on CSI Vegas. What was it like shooting your scenes? It was interesting. I was in makeup for about two hours. They put a full chest piece on me to make it look like I had gone through an autopsy. We actually were filming my scene for about five hours with me laying on a metal gurney in a body bag. It was a fun time because all the actors, they were super nice. And the director, Mario Van Peebles, he was super nice. The whole crew was just very accommodating and like kept on checking on me and everything. Any tips or words of wisdom from the director or fellow thespians you know the only really direction they gave me is like right before they called action they would uh, make sure that i took a deep breath ah method acting speaking of acting i'm in an actor's union so i know what the going rates are there's a certain rate for principal actors then there's a rate called the under tens that's if you have less than 10 lines then there are the extras they have no lines. They just stand around or sit around, but they can still breathe. To my knowledge, there is no going rate for the dead. So Josh wasn't paid. But one can assume that the flight and accommodations were comped. They did. They flew me out and paid for my flight in my hotel. And we went around uh, Las Vegas, or sorry, Los Angeles and uh, filmed TikToks for my channel. So I got to experience Los Angeles for the first time. And he even got to shoot a couple of TikTok videos while he was on the set. I mean, why not? He was just lying around. And while he was in Los Angeles, he managed to cozy up against the star of CSI's Marg Helgenberger on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It was a little hot on the sidewalk. I mean, it's a black sidewalk in the middle of summer of July, so it was uh, starting to burn my leg a little bit. I mean, not, nothing too bad, but we, I think we got it done right in the right amount of time for me to get back up and not have more than just a heat rash there. But lying around pretending to be dead, you'd think that would cause a commotion 
or some concern from the passersby. Luckily, I had uh, two ladies helping me out, so they kind of acted as crowd control. But also, I don't think many people noticed or paid attention or cared that I was doing anything. They just kind of walk past you and not really pay attention to you. A big guy lying motionless on Marg Helgenberger's star, and nobody bats an eyelash. What does that say about humanity? Also, that sidewalk is not exactly clean. No, it's not. That's why I didn't go face down on it. Also, they they had asked me to bring a towel, and um, I was in L.A. and a little bit scatterbrained at that time, so I forgot to bring a towel. Plus, I don't think too many people die on a towel, but, you know, I did it for the TikTok. Yes, the sacrifices one makes for their art. Speaking of which... Now that he's seen how the real pros do things, will that experience enhance his videos? Should he choose to continue with them? I plan on continue doing them. I don't know if it'll enhance. Like, I don't I don't plan to start doing my own makeup and everything. Maybe bring back a little bit of the gore that I kind of slowed down on in the early ones that I used to do. You can go to Josh's TikTok page to see the plethora of death scenes that has brought him worldwide acclaim. Just search for Living Dead Josh. This is clearly a case where fame doesn't cause, but instead comes from the death of him. Business beyond bizarre. Another thing that most people outgrow are sock monkeys. But there is a woman just outside of Chicago who has quite a few of them. Arlene Oaken has about 2,100 of the plush pals. In fact, not only does she display all of them and run the Sock Monkey Museum, she is also a Guinness World Record holder because nobody has more sock monkeys in the world than her. And she started her collection with just one that she got as an adult. I started collecting about 17 years ago. So it's not my whole life. It's just more recent. My husband and I had an RV and we were traveling along the country and we stopped and bought one at a Cracker Barrel. And he sort of became our mascot on the road and we put him in all our photos. And then I began looking into their history and learned that they have ties to Illinois and also Americana. So I just started collecting this vintage generation that came before the one I bought. Okay. A little bit of history. In a nutshell, Swedish immigrant John Nelson settled in Rockford, Illinois in 1857. In 1865, he began work on improving the automatic sock knitting machine. The Nelson Knitting Company was formed in 1880, becoming one of the most well-known brands of work socks. During the Great Depression, money was scarce. Moms and grandmas made toys for their children with items they already had. Cutting and sewing a pair of worn-out work socks, they created their own sock monkey dolls. And that's the story from heel to toe. Now, back to Arlene. The first one she purchased was manufactured, but since then, she has hunted high and low for more vintage ones. The one I bought, it was made by hand, but it was more of a mass produced. They made them in a company versus like an individual making them for someone specifically. So it was a store bought one. And so the ones that I collect are what they consider vintage handmade. They were made from really the Great Depression on. And so some of those can be up to maybe 80 years old. So... 
as a collector, at what point do you look around and say, "Gee, there's a lot of sock monkeys around here. Maybe I should start a museum." You don't really set out to have a collection. You know, it just happens. And so I just began to collect more and more in the house, and then I put them away in some bins, and then more would show up. And then, as my husband says, they keep coming. So one day he just said to me, "Maybe you should take these out of the house and let people enjoy them." And that's really what we did. You know, I just wanted to share their history, their ties to Illinois. You know, it's fun. It's fun doing that. I didn't want to just put them on shelves and show them. They have a story. And this little museum is now getting socks and visitors from all over the world. That is overwhelming and surprising, but it's really great just to be able to spread the word about our little museum. But yes, we get people coming into actually it's like a historic section of our downtown Long Grove, and so people come in from all over the world. So yeah, we never really dreamed that it would be this large, but it's really fun. What's fun is that some people are familiar with sock monkeys. and some are not but we do have some international sock monkeys now i have one from australia i have cape town south africa now and germany we're getting them from all different places now most of arlene's displayed pieces come from the various places that she searches for her cotton collection of vintage americana but on a few rare occasions a small number are donated. I started to buy them from garage sales and thrift shops, estate sales, the internet and other collectors I got them from, but really since we opened there are people that they're sending me or coming in with a donation and I did have one lady from Portland, Oregon who was moving to Portugal and she sent me 80 of her vintage monkeys. She was so happy that there was a place that her sock monkeys would be loved and appreciated. So um it made her feel good. Arlene's little museum brings joy to so many people. I think it's just so unique and the name, you know, on our sign, Sock Monkey Museum. People don't really know what to expect when they walk through the door. Some people that have sock monkeys, they find us they love it, you know, but a lot of people don't even know what what is this museum. So they come in and they're greeted by literally hundreds of sock monkeys smiling at them when they walk through the door. People walk in, they say things like, "I'm so happy right now" or "Oh, I needed this." So that makes us feel great. And we have a workshop where you can actually make your own there out of a pair of the original socks. We also have a custom stuffable. It's for people that don't want to spend the time sewing, but they can leave with their own monkey too something for everyone and the Guinness world record how did that come about well my husband had been in touch with them for over a year they didn't have a category for the world's largest sock monkey collection they were going to work on trying to open one for us but they had to go to all their offices worldwide trying to find if there were any other collections available and they found maybe 200 300 so they opened a category specifically for us and then you had to have i think about 1000 in order to just open it and so they did that and they came out they had two adjudicators with them and we provided a, an expert witness and they they counted and verified all our sock monkeys and we more than doubled the 1000 needed they actually certified us at 2098 Sounds like fun for the whole family. And if this isn't already more fun than a barrel of monkeys, you'll be glad to know that when you visit the Sock Monkey Museum, a portion of your ticket to get in 
will help a very worthy cause. With each entrance fee to our museum, we donate a portion of that to the Chimp Sanctuary Northwest in Cleet Ellum, Washington. They do great work for the chimps that have been retired from medical research and the entertainment industry. For more information about the Sock Monkey Museum, visit their website at SockMonkeyMuseum.com. You'll love it. You might even go bananas. Next time on Business Beyond Bazaar. Many a woman has complained that while they're honored to be a bridesmaid, they can never wear that dress again. Well, you'll meet a woman who not only has regularly worn the same bridesmaid dress since 1988, she's been in it all around the world. That's a dress that has outlasted a lot of marriages. And there's a man in upstate New York who runs a jigsaw puzzle barn where you can rent jigsaw puzzles. It would only cost you two bucks for a puzzle that's a thousand pieces or more. Gee, I can't even begin to calculate what that price is per piece. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fairplay. Thank you.